the Columbus income tax hike. Those payday lenders are still around. And Swaco discovers there's a fourth R. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle Studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Julie Carr Smythe, State House Correspondent for the Associated Press, Sherry Williams, Reporter with the Columbus Dispatch, Terry Casey, Republican Strategist, and Greg Haas, Democratic Strategist. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. This week's report from mayor, the Mayor's Economic Advisory Committee held all the suspense of an OSU football win over Akron. To no one's surprise, the committee recommends an increase of the city's income tax of up to a half percentage point. That would cost the median household an extra $200 a year. Of course, voters would have to approve it, and if they don't, the advisory panel has a backup plan charge residents for trash pickup. Sherry Williams, how hard is it going to be for city officials to sell pu the public on this? I think it's going to be very difficult to sell it to the public, so I think what's going to have to happen is that a city council, the mayor, all these folks are really going to have to show people what they're going to miss if it doesn't happen. Because if people thought they really missed the 11 rec centers that closed, if they missed the 140 employees, city employees who were laid off, and if, you know, if people are upset about 1,300 workers having to take furloughs, they're going to miss more. And that's just the bottom line, from my opinion. Mm -hmm. And if you actually read the report that Bob Howarth did, the very first part of it was about ways you could save money. Uh, one of the things is why should most city employees get their share of the pension paid for by the taxpayers when most taxpayers have to pay their share of their own Social Security and Medicare and don't have the gold-plated pensions that most at City Hall do. But he said that's not enough. They still need the tax increase. Well, there's a question whether it's really enough because if you look at the growth in city revenue over the past 30 years, it's grown on average. Uh, about a lot of the years, sometimes two and three times the rate of inflation. And even since Mike Coleman's become mayor, they've had $127 million growth in revenue. So there's a lot of revenue, it's just their appetite to spend is at a higher level than what reality would dictate. Well, actually reality dictates the growth, the growth pattern for the state of Ohio and for um, um, the Columbus in particular is not going to be anything like it's been for 30 years. Everybody reasonably knows that and we've, we've, we've faced uh, so many problems in recent years that maintaining the same level of growth over a 30 year time period is going to be very difficult to replicate. And the reality is that the city is operated um, very efficiently. It's AAA bond rating. It's, it's, it's very highly recognized for how well it's managed. The fact is that healthcare prices have, have gone through the roof since then. Uh, the gas prices have gone through the roof. So the reality is that, 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 that this city is very well managed but, but faces very difficult choices, driven largely by the economy, driven largely by what's happened uh, uh, to the, to, uh, uh, the economy nationally. But and Greg, I don't see how you can say the city's well managed because according to Hugh Dorian on right. Channel 10 a few weeks ago, he said for seven of the last nine years that right. Coleman's been mayor, they've spent more than what they've taken in. And it, some of the years, like in 2006, the city's revenue grew at 6.4%, but the spending grew even higher. Well, uh, well uh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, what, what, what is good management is the fact that we have a AAA bond rating. What is good management no, is that we spend more today. Taxes you but, 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 but 
Mike Coleman does not drive health care costs nationally. Mike Coleman does not drive gas prices nationally. Those are realities that he's forced to deal with as, as the mayor of this city. And, and, the, and, and, the, and the fact that we put more money today in the police department, we put more money in, in safety than we ever have, the fact that we have grown but at the same time maintained a, 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 a a positive uh, a future for the city of Columbus and, and that we're moving in the right direction um, is, is those are all the tenets of good management and that's what's happened in the but city of Columbus. Let's get to the to the political reality. I mean a few years ago they put the rental car tax on the ballot that would have affected just a small small portion of the city residents mainly out-of-town folks renting cars and that got whomped 60-40. I mean how is a half percent increase? Half Half of a percentage well, point that's increase. That's a twenty-five percent increase in the city income tax, and it would yield ninety-six million dollars more a year. And and sure, the bureaucrats at City Hall always want more, and they say, "Oh, we cut down on the requests." But the reality is, city's the city's budget is growing faster than the rate of inflation. And Mike, you were there when they had the one debate in two thousand seven, October third. The mayor bragged about Skybus and how great the city economy was. We didn't need a tax increase. Everything was wonderful. Everything was fine. It didn't change that quickly because again, people are now discovering the dispatches detailed it on page one. Terry, 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 the difference between the economy in two thousand and seven and the economy today is dramatic. Do you does that give the mayor cover like it's giving Governor Strickland cover? Well, you know, I think that it it does perhaps show a, that the state, the city, the nation are really in the same boat in terms of whatever revenue you were planning on getting, you're not going to get. I think politically, it's tough times right now. It's going to be hard to sell it, as, as Sherry said, when everybody's bottom line in their home and everywhere else is, uh, you know, suffering. Can they? Can they sell this while city council members are seeking re-election? Well, one of the questions is, do they put it on the November ballot? Because at City Hall, they were looking at doing an August special, which of course would cost three quarters of a million dollars to run the special election, trying to sneak it by voters in August when people might not they be not paid Terry, Terry, Terry that is ridiculous. Now, first of all, they have to have a budget November 15th. So if they do it, if they, if they decide to do an election in August, it's driven by the fact that they have to have a budget. And you know as well as I do that the, the lower turnout elections are tougher to pass taxes in than higher turnout elections. So this idea of sneaking it past people is a ridiculous charge. The reality is they're, they're going to put it on, it's going to be driven by the budget and by by when the money's needed, and and it's pretty it, it, it's pretty unprofessional and, and poor management to say, oh, we discovered last week that we're not going to have this tax increase, so now we now here's our new budget. By the way, goodbye, 200 police officers. Goodbye, um, um, uh, all the, the dramatic cuts that we talked but, about but earlier. But the mayor can cut it's not other about places. Sneaking anything by my guys, Terry. It's been on the front page of the paper. It's been talked about on this show. It's been talked about but all the over. Mayor There's not anything being snuck by. But anyway. the mayor refused in several different different dispatch articles this week to take a position well, where I'm he's at on the trash fee, where he's at on this report, why he doesn't adopt some of the cost and, savings. And rather than just shooting from the hip, you, you, think it's, you think it's poor management of the mayor to not like reflect on and study the report? Let's get to our next topic. <laughs> Another topic that's been on the front page a lot lately. We learned, though, additional details about the latest plan to bring casino gambling to Ohio. Penn National and its supporters have officially introduced their proposal. It would put casinos in Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo. Each casino would pay a $50 million license fee. A third of the casino's gross revenue would be paid in taxes, and 85% of that money would go to local governments and school districts. 
Julie Carr Smythe, the bottom line is, is the casino operators are going to put $200 million down and $600 million a year in taxes will be paid to the state. Is that enough to sell it to the people of Ohio? I, I doubt it, given that what really voters seem to have reacted to in recent years on these is the fact that business and the business of the casino industry is what's driving these, uh, not the best interest, perhaps, of the public. Uh, which is interesting to me that this week it emerged out of the state house other news that the racing commission is also looking at the idea of perhaps giving cover to some lawmakers well they're not calling it that but i think what their proposal might do is give cover to lawmakers to take back control of the casino issue and perhaps write their own slots in racetracks. This is the one that would allow slot machines to go into, into racetracks around the state. Mm -hmm. um, outside gambling interests, are they enough unified now where you're, gonna you're not going to have one or another well, battling each other? What, what you're going to see, the racetrack people, even though there's a little money thrown in there for the racetracks, are not at all happy with this and that's why they're pushing potentially a slots or they call it video lottery terminals at racetracks and then I'll jump to the prediction stage, I'll have a later prediction, but there's another firm out of Detroit, the Illiches that own the Tigers and a casino there and Little Caesars, they don't like this proposal because it's got a location in Toledo which is too close to Mrs. Illich's casino in Detroit. So they're going to be filing another one. So there's still going to be some tension that happens. I think in general this is a better proposal because it quantifies a certain amount of investment. It gets four locations instead of one and Penn National that spent 38 million against the last one is now the chief proponent of it. So they're not going to spend money attacking their own proposal. It sounds like Terry and I may have a similar prediction at the end of this. It'll be interesting to find out. But the, um, um, I think the, one of the things that has always made Ohio strong is its location and, and it, the diversity of its population and the spread of the cities around the state. What's, what's happening right now with a lot of with the casino proposals that we're seeing is, is how that plays out. In, this, in, in the small politics of getting the casino passed. And I think every time these proposals come forward, the interest in Detroit, the interest in Windsor, and the interest in, in Indiana and the, and the other locations are always going to be constantly battling each other. And so I don't see a situation where you can have any kind of anything put on the ballot where there's not going to be strong opposition to it. Right. And, and I think if, if that being the case, I think we all know that when you have an issue campaign with heavy opposition, giving people a reason to vote no, knows already pretty strong and the voters have already spoken pretty loudly without that um, and so it to me it just seems uh, I, I'm amazed at, at, at the amount of generation there continues to be behind these issues. Sure, I, I, I want to get on the record agreeing with Greg and one specific there's some Pennsylvania firms like Mountaineer mm -hmm that has Erie, Pennsylvania, Chester, West Virginia, but in Pennsylvania they're paying a 54% tax rate. This one would only be 33%. That gives them a tremendous incentive. They don't want a low-cost competition hurting yeah. them. And now i got to come up with a new prediction at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, they're talking the arena district for this casino. Why not City Center? I mean, that's where everyone you wants know to put what? a casino that there. You know what? That has been, I can't say the number one question of the week, but you are not the first person who has said that. For one thing, I don't think the arena district needs any help anyway because there's a lot of commercial activity going on down there and but they're already the commons plans for city center and all that but that that's something that I've heard a lot of people say would be a good idea if these things were come to pass but I don't know voters have have spoken pretty loudly already and I'm not sure if 
we're going to see them in the first a casino place. Casino across the street from the state house, Julie. Can you see that? <laughs> gamble one place yeah, no. or gamble the other place. I do think this uh, is an intriguing idea because it tries to sort of bring all of the opposition forces that might come to bear. You know, it puts the education money in it. It puts the you know, instead of having the fight over Cleveland or the fight over um, Dayton Wilmington, area, you yeah. know, Wilmington, that'll have the everybody will get one and. You know, maybe the time has come with some uh, softening of the state house by House Democrats, mm -hmm. too. Plus the economy, where yeah, it is. And the economy. Voters not only shot down casinos last fall, they thought they kicked out payday lenders, or at least most of them. But some are still around. While no longer charging 400% interest, they are charging big amounts for short-term loans. The payday lenders are getting new licenses under the Ohio Small <coughs> Loan Act or the Ohio Mortgage Act. And under those laws, they can only charge modest interest, but they can and they are charging large fees. Terry Casey, we had to know that this industry was going to find some way around November's ballot issue. Well, I think there's an old Halloween movie about the line, they're back. They never left. Well, of course, they said they were going to go out of business and nobody would have choices. But the reality is, as one person put it to me on campaign finance, and applies to this, it's like water running downhill. You can build a dam here and you can build a dam there, but it's always going to find a way around it. And some would say, to be honest, and I had one person who's a former public official, and he said his brother told him, you know, the risk of overdrawing your bank and the charge you get on a bounce check and then the daily fees until you correct it would be more costly than paying through a payday lender. So uh, it's difficult and apparently they found a legal way to get around it. Well they did but it, it, it can be easily addressed by the legislature and I disagree in, 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 the, in the sense that the comparison to campaign financing um, is, is so much, um, um, is very different in the sense that that we regulate the way in which these businesses operate. We can, um, all the legislature needs to do at this point is take the affirmative step, which, is, which would be to um, um, challenge anybody who's attempting to get around the law um, and, and, uh, and allow local prosecutors the authority to, to, to go after people who are attempting to circumvent the law. The voters spoke loudly and clear, clearly. They don't like these places. They want them closed. Um, all we have to do is just give a, a little more uh, a few teeth to the legislation and let lo local law enforcement deal with it, and, so and they, they can. I mean, so we, Al Capone yeah. claimed, you know, that, that that he was just serving a public need, and and uh, uh, eventually, and eventually people. we got him. Eventually we got him. Some well, have some closed. They've so gone from sixteen hundred to about a thousand. So six hundred of these places have shut down. Whether they're operating under a new name, it's hard to track. But they have six hundred of these payday lenders have. But, but the shop. difficulty is to give prosecutors, anytime somebody decides to circumvent the law, uh, prosecutors can't write the law. The no, laws right. have to be written. Uh, and in my view, it's not just the payday <laughs> lenders, but certain of the bank practices and the other people are highly questionable. Is it fair to crack down on these folks for charging high fees for checks and things like that when, as Terry mentioned, so you have overdraft protection on your, on your <coughs> checking account. It's $25 a year. Each time you use it, it may be 5 or $10, plus you pay the interest on that overdraft. But that's your mainstream I, bank. I, I'm totally with Terry in the fact okay. that we need to regulate banks more carefully and, 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 and go after them to protect consumers. And maybe we can hire Steve Stivers and we can go in and reform the banking industry. And Terry and I will work on behalf of that campaign because I think that sounds like a great idea, Terry. I think that, that banks gouging people is a, is, is a bad thing, and it does happen. Uh, well, but it doesn't, it doesn't justify payday lenders. 
Well, we also need consumers better educated too, because we, we get into banks aren't the only people that gouge, and the good, the best defense is smart consumers. The bottom line is, Joe, you cover the neighborhoods in the city. There's a market out there for this That's type of loan. That's what I was going to say too. You talk about the overdraft protection and all the fees that come with that, but that's even if you do actually have a bank account. And there are some people who mainstream banks, they're not an avenue, they're not an option for them because they're, they had economic problems before, they're on check systems, they can't get a bank account now, which is why they need to go there and cash checks. And now even with the economy being the way it is, I wouldn't be surprised if they're even seeing more business because if it was a struggle for people to make it day to day now before, and if, they're, if they were living check to check before, <coughs> I can just only imagine that they're utilizing these places even more now. Okay, our fourth topic. Now, we've avoided this for a few weeks because nothing says good television like a fight between two accountants. <laughs> but this fight does have political implications. Republican State Auditor Mary Taylor has been blasting the Strickland administration for not providing information she needs to complete the 2008 state audit on time. The Strickland administration says it's trying, but new software is slowing the process. Greg Haas, this little fight has this little to do with software and accounting. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, for, for uh, a good year and a half or two years, I think that the state auditor was, was clearly uh, somebody who appeared to be working in the best interest of the state, but now she's begun to show her true colors in this, and those colors are red. Um, and, and, uh, and, and choosing to pick a fight and, 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 and attacking the governor um, for battling a software program that was instituted by the previous administration. In fact, people in her own office are, were part of the architects of the Oak system. The Oak system is a nightmare. Everybody knows it. I talked to a guy this week who retired early because of that system. Um, and, and we're aware, I mean, I mean, everybody who deals with it is frustrated. Um, it's, it's brought to you by those friendly guys from Accenture, AKA Anderson Consulting, the people who brought you Enron and, you know, AKA the James gang, you know, at one point, I think in their legacy. And, and, and now they've, they've, they've brought us this. Um, and, and it's a, it's a nightmare. It's a, it's a very difficult and serious problem. Uh, it's, it's not a true ideological conflict or it's not uh, as, as the state auditor claimed uh, a lack of transparency on, on the governor's part. It's, it's dealing with a very difficult system and to the governor's credit, he hasn't attacked the previous administration. He hasn't laid the blame anywhere other than uh, getting, staying focused on getting the job done. Well, after two things where Greg and I agreed, I'm going to disagree with him strongly because in the audit from a year ago, the state auditor said, you've got to get the books together. And this isn't something that Mary Taylor just decided to pick on the state of Ohio. Every school district, every township, every county, every unit of government has got to put their books together so they can be audited. Uh, and all that she's asking the same thing. She asked it a year ago, told them they were deficient, they needed to do it. They sent back their reply letter. They didn't say, we can't do it. They didn't say it was all the accounting system. Uh, it's pretty simple. And how in the heck can the Ohio House start on the budget? In fact, they've canceled next week's budget hearings because again, they aren't ready. And the dispatch editorial this week on Wednesday was real blunt that the administration has got to do a lot more to present a more honest to, budget. To the insiders, Julie, this is a big deal. 
yeah. to the general voting public, how much of this is sticking? Well, I think that what it is doing is it's, it's sort of galvanizing some of the criticism of this budget overall in terms of the transparency of the budget and the fact that when you are trying to parse these numbers, they're not adding up or there are more questions than there are answers. I did talk to one of the rating agencies that said, we don't really use this audit to determine the state's bond rating. A lot of times, um, you know, it, it, it's a different, it's two different but parallel systems, mm -hmm. the, bu the budget accounting and the, and the uh, fiscal accounting that, that the auditor audits. Yeah. So, I mean, to that extent, it is a little bit of um, overkill on the political side, but I do think that it, it is taking hold because of the fact that the budget has so many other questions. What's an auditor to do, Terry? You don't get a lot of headlines. <laughs> well, yeah. if, if you're the auditor and you didn't blow the whistle, I think there's been people criticizing the National Administration for not blowing the whistle. And it's a matter, I mean, the state budget director has a big staff, lots of people with titles. Why don't they get the books together there's, and present there's no, them? There's no question that, that it, it is legitimate to for the auditor to uh, complain about the fact that the numbers aren't there. But, but it's the assigning blame issue. You know, I was talking to uh, somebody this week who points out that we are always engaged in this point-counterpoint thing and, and, and by structure, you know, whether it's the Democrats and Republicans, whether it's the way a reporter covers a story, it's all about point-counterpoint. The, the issue really is, in the end, it, you know, and, and we're so preoccupied with that that we miss that a lot of times the answers don't have anything to do with that. And so to your point, this is a tempest in a teapot. Uh, but but where it's real is the state auditor has stepped up to say this is about you know I'm ready to play the political game I'm ready to go after the after the governor and try and embarrass him try and galvanize the budget issues try and try and provide some some meat behind that that's what's really happening here uh, it's not about the numbers it's not about getting them done because everybody knows what the problem is the problem is the software the to. calendar this is the fiscal year that closed June 30th 2008 nine months ago why does it take them so long to get the books uh, we as taxpayers can't tell IRS well three and a half months isn't enough time to get our filing done why can the state budget director get away with it we got to get to the dump I'm sorry, <laughs> the sanitary <laughs> landfill, I'm sorry. For years, the Solid Waste Authority of Central Ohio, Swaco, has been touting the three R's, reduce, reuse, and recycle. Whether it's the effectiveness of Swaco's education campaign or the weak economy, the operators of the landfill now worry about the fourth R, revenue. It seems there has been less trash being dumped, that means less money, and Swaco is looking to import trash to raise fees. It's even suggesting a trash tax. Terry Casey, this is extremely ironic. They've been saying for years we need to put less in the landfill, but now we have less, they're in trouble. What's going well, on? I would characterize this, this is where the do-gooder thing kind of crashed into economic reality because as happens when people aren't buying as many things, there aren't as many boxes like the microwave, we had to replace our microwave, you got to do something with the box and you bust it up and you got all that stuff. Well, if you aren't buying as many things, you're not having as much in the trash. The other economic reality, I talked to John Remy this morning, is that the prices for the metals and the papers and the other things have dramatically decreased in value, and so that causes some challenges. And actually, that's what Swaco wants. Why are they now hurting? This is their plan. They wanted this to happen, but now but, they can't deal but, with it. But the good news is we've got 25 years at least left life on the landfill and they're not trying to say to New Jersey bring us your bad trash. They're kind of saying to some surrounding counties nearby right. instead of taking it down to Jackson County. And that's the other thing too. It's like you know it, it's where do you draw the global and the holistic 
lesson. I mean, if, if, if the people who are running our trash facility are dump, um, I'll get that in there Sanitary for you too. Land. Because yeah, I know, but Sanitary. you like you like to use the word dump, so I'll get it in there a couple more times for you. Um, but if they're not going to be the chief um, uh, spokespeople for recycling, if they're not going to be the people who warn about yeah. consumption, uh, then nobody is. And the fact that we have a well-run facility, a place that can handle more, is a, is a testament to the management that, that, that's taken place there and how well-run it's been. But they still have a job to do. Yeah. We still have to recycle, no matter how well our dump is run, we, we still have to do what we can about our trash. Yeah, and this is not an irony that is that this is the first time we've seen in this sort of situation. You look at the electric industry, it's the same thing. You try to get them to, to preach conservation, they do it, and then their business side hurts. It's where the business, you know, meets up against uh, societal goals we have for our environment, and we just have to figure out a way to protect the business interests somehow through this little thing called regulation. And the trash tax is a big issue out there because based on today's dispatch, if we get two different bills on trash, yeah. mm -hmm. it could add up to $386 a year per household, which is like real money. We've got to get to our weekly Columbus off-the-record off the record comments from our panel, some final thoughts and predictions for the weeks ahead. Julie Carr-Smythe, you're up first. Uh, I think in the next week or two that you'll see some... Um, big questions at the State House on the school funding formula. There were some suggestions this week that the dollars flowing from the stimulus are are accounted for in a uh, sort of strange way. So we'll see how that pans out. Okay, Sherry. I think several weeks ahead, moving on over to the fall, we're gonna see what I like to call Generation L on college campuses a lot more. Um, adults, professionals who have been laid off, who are looking to seek refuge and build more skills as the economy shakes out. So I think we'll see, um, along with fresh, fresh face co-ed, some mature people walking around campus. Terry. The media likes to cover other people, but the media doesn't get the attention they deserve. Two little items in the past week or so, two different TV stations, four and six, and also 28 are kind of consolidating some of their assignment desks and certain of their news sharing, much as the dispatch and Channel 10 does, and then the dispatch cut 22% of their news staff, and ultimately we can get a lot of stuff nationally and internationally on the internet, but who's going to cover the local? Well, we covered my prediction earlier, at least to the degree that we um, was talking about opposition to the casino stepping forward in the next week. So my new prediction is that when Terry gets home and tries to fix that microwave that he got this week and he has trouble adjusting the clock and it keeps flashing 12, he's going to blame Mike Coleman. <laughs> <laughs> that is Columbus on the record for this week. Don't forget to check out our website. You can continue the discussion online. Our question is, should the city raise income taxes? You can also check out our streaming video. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.